actually pretty neat that uh, that we're going to be talking about what we're going to talk about on Mother's Day today, uh, because we're going to be talking about community today. And back in March, I had the opportunity uh, to go back to England for a week. Um, uh, my grandfather passed away, so uh, the family gathered for his funeral. Uh, and it was the first time for about 13 years that I actually went back home alone uh, without wife or kids or anyone else who would come with me. Um, and so uh, I, I got home and uh, my sister, who also lives here in the United States, uh, she uh, uh, had come home as well. She'd gone back to England for the funeral. Um, she took uh, uh, her little girl, but uh, she got another boy and her husband. They, they'd stayed uh, in Missouri. Um, and then my brother, who was getting married this summer, he was there as well. So it was the first time for about 15 years that all of us, all my mom's kids, had been home at once at the same time in the same house. And uh, it just brought back a lot of good and bad memories um, at that. But... Um, uh, but on the Sunday that I was there, it was the British version of Mother's Day. The, the Brits do a little different. They call it Mothering Sunday. Uh, but uh, basically, it's the same thing, Mother's Day. Um, they just have it at a different time. And so it was the first time for 15 years that my mother, on Mother's Day, had all her kids in her house at one time. And that was really neat. Uh, but it's amazing. I still call England my home, right? I I, I spent 25 years of my life there. I grew up there. I went to school there. I developed friends there. Uh, I was involved in a church there. And I call it home. I have still have a British passport because I consider myself British. Uh, I, I, I look at all things British, and I think it's wonderful. Tea, done the right way, is better than coffee. Uh, uh, soccer is 10 times better than American football. You may disagree with me, but it's the truth. Uh, so we, we <laughs> I consider myself all these things British and it's home to me. I still call it home, but it's amazing. When I went home, I was looking around, everything was still the same. You know, that where my parents lived, you know, they turned my room into some like girly looking flowery room, but everything else was apart from that, the same, the people were the same, the roads were the same, but for some reason it just didn't feel like home anymore. And I came to the realization that Bel Air, Maryland is my home. And so I, I, I consider myself a Marylander now. And uh, as I was there at home, it, it was funny because you have this feeling, this nostalgic feeling, but there's just something missing. It doesn't feel like home. See, my family weren't with me, and, and, and I've been so far removed from that, that place and that home and those surroundings that it just doesn't feel like home anymore. And I realize it's when you stop doing life somewhere that it doesn't have the same feeling anymore. For home is where the heart is, and where the heart is is where we do life. And so now Bel Air is home to me, not Birmingham or Wolverhampton, England, where I was from. It doesn't feel like home anymore. And I tell you this morning, church will never feel like home to you unless you make the choice to do life with the people who make up the church. So that again, that church will never feel like home to you unless you make the choice to, to choose to do life with the people who make up the church. And our desire here at Generation Church is that this will be a place that you can call home, where you feel that you belong. 
Our desire is that when you come into, into, into this location, or maybe you go into the home of somebody who calls Generation Church their home church. My prayer is that when you walk into those places or into this place, that you will sit down, you will let out a sigh of relief and go, it's good to be home. That when you go with the people of Generation Church, that you'll say, it's good to be with family. See, our desire is that this place will be feel like a home to you. Now, you hear a lot of people say, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, which is exactly true. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. However, I do believe that you will never be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ unless you become part of a church. See, Jesus never actually instructed us to become Christians and then go to church. That was not part of Jesus' instruction. But what Jesus did instruct us, he said to follow me, to become my disciple, and then in turn to make disciples. We're asked to follow him. And there is not one example in the whole Bible of somebody who did anything good for God, who became a great disciple, a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, and they decided to do it alone. They decided just to sit in their living room and never like socialize with anybody who are other Christians and maybe on a Sunday morning just watch Joel Austin on Sunday morning. There is not one example in the whole Bible of somebody who decided to do life alone who was a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. Anybody who was anybody in the Bible always did their faith in the middle of community with other people. Now, the word discipleship means to be a pupil of somebody. It means to adhere to the ways of somebody else. So uh, uh, here at Generation Church, we believe discipleship is adhering to the ways of Jesus Christ, to, to follow the ways of Jesus Christ, to study the ways and copy the ways of Jesus Christ. And, and the way that you do that is not just by reading and studying. And saying, well, this is what Jesus did. Let's go and copy what Jesus did. The best way to do that is to start to watch and look at other people who are living a life of faith. Maybe some who are a little further ahead of you on this journey of faith. And start looking at them and seeing how they do life, how they do faith, how, how they try to live a life out of serving Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to a church in a city called Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And basically what he was saying, he was saying, if you want to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, then you need to look at some other people and see how they are doing life. And those who, who, who seem to be doing well in their faith, and you need to start trying to, to copy and, and mimic what they are doing as they are trying to live out a life for Christ as well. See, we can read all the theory we want, but... I believe it's only by seeing and watching can we understand how to respond in our faith when an unexpected bill comes. I believe it's by seeing and watching others 
who are a little further down the journey of faith or those who are also doing this journey with us of faith. It's by seeing and watching those that we know how to respond in our faith when we get an unexpected diagnosis from the doctor. I believe it's by watching and, uh, and seeing others that we know how to respond to our faith when our children let us down. I believe it's by watching and seeing others that we know how to respond in our faith when that person in the workplace just becomes really nasty and unkind to us. And sometimes there's some choice words that you want to say to them. See, if you try to do life alone, it's hard to understand how to respond to those people. But when you are in community with others, you can start to understand how they respond. See, I believe discipleship begins and happens in community. To know how to apply your faith, you have to be close enough to others and watch others live out their faith when they are not wearing their Sunday best. This is what I mean by this. When we were younger, I I grew up in a church that we dressed the nights. You know, I mean, even from a little boy, I mean, I was wearing three-piece suits to church. I mean, I've always hated wearing a tie, but we had to wear a tie every Sunday morning. Uh, and, we, and we got up and we went to church and, uh, and we met everybody and everyone was coming out of their cars into church and they, they were all dressed in their nines and their three-piece suits and, uh, and, 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 and there was people with way too much hairspray in their hair and, and, and all that sort of jazz and some people, they just, you know, way too much perfume, but they had their Sunday best on. And uh, they came in smiling, everything was great, hunky-dory. And, uh, and that was your reference point to how people did life and how people lived their Christian life. They always dressed to the nines. Now, we don't dress like that much anymore. But instead, some of us, we kind of spend as much time putting on our skinny jeans and putting our hips or clothes on and doing our funky hairstyles. Let's be honest, some of us do. And I'm not talking about myself, I honestly. But we do that. And we come in, and that's our reference point often for how we do life. But if we're not close enough to see people when they don't have their Sunday best on, when, when, when they're just chilling on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Friday, and, and you get to see when they have issues in life, though that is the time that we start to grow in our faith and start to see how others are growing in their faith as well. See, if your reference point for following Jesus is just other people on a Sunday morning, you are going to fall short of the incredible life that God has for you soon as the storm of life hits. So this morning, I want us to take a look at a community of faith, a church that really did community well. It was actually the very first church. They weren't even called a church at the time. They were just gathering together, but we now call them the first church. And so we find this in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verses 42 to 47. And this is what the Bible says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved or those who were finding new life in Jesus Christ. So we see here this very first church, it, there was something that, that, that was so noticeable about them. They were built and they were started in close community with one another. That they didn't just come up on a Sunday morning, see someone get out the parking lot or out their car and, and, and wave to them and say hi, and then, and then you didn't see them for another week. They were in close community with each other. And this church, it thrived. It thrived, and it started to explode with growth, and it, it went all around the world eventually. And we're here today because of this first church. But there's three reasons why it thrived. The first one is friendship. The second one is food. The third one is spiritual community. Because they got so close to each other, they started to become friends. That they started to do life together in a way that they, that they, they started to know each other. That they, they, they got to know each other's kids. They probably even went to each, other, their, their, each other's kids' ball games. If they had ball games then, they probably didn't. They probably like, had like sword fight games or something. I don't know. But they went, to, they went and got involved in each other's lives. They became friends, and this friendship started to build. And I'm sure a lot of us, we're, we're looking for friendship. We're looking for people that we can call true friends. And these people, they had it. But the reason they had friendship was because of the second reason they had community, and that was because of food. Let's be honest. All good relationships start with food, Right? All good relationships start with food. And, and so what they started to do is they started to invite each other into each other's homes and they started to eat together. The Bible says they even shared the Lord's Supper together. Well, what they mean by shared communion. Now, we'll have communion on the first Sunday of each month here. And, uh, and, and we'll have these tiny little juice things and just a secret between you and me. They taste disgusting. But... There's this little juice and there's a wafer in the top that I don't even think is food, but we have it anyway. And and so we have that and we take it and we take the Lord's Supper. Well, that's not how they had the Lord's Supper in that day. They they didn't do it in a church service. They did it around the dinner table. They went to the Chinese buffet or Golden Corral and they went and they loaded up their plates and they ate well. I'm not sure if you can really eat well at the Chinese buffet or Golden Corral, but you get the drift. They loaded their plates up and they started to eat together and they had fun together and they got filled together. And that's how they remembered the Lord's death and, and that's how they celebrated communion together. And it was done by food. I bet if you walked into a house of, of someone who was in this very first church, you would see a whole lot of crock pots, you'd see some empty pizza boxes, and you'd see a whole lot of chips and dips everywhere. Because they were constantly inviting each other over and eating together. But this first church, they didn't just stop at friendship and food. It wasn't just about hanging out. It wasn't just about coming, watching the game together and having some chips and dips and then maybe taking a little nap and then waking up and going home. That wasn't what it was all about. It was about spiritual community. The Bible says that they prayed together. They studied the scriptures together and the apostles' teaching together. The Bible says that they helped each other in need. They lifted each other up. They had this thing called spiritual community. 
And, and, and that is why this, this uh, uh, early church thrived. And I'm going to be honest with you today. Just like a single person goes on eHarmony, they don't go on just to find friendship, right? They go to find love. You don't pay the subscription costs to find friends. You go to find a significant other. In the same way, when it comes to community, I'm going to be honest with you today, I'm not looking for friendship. I don't come to church to look for friends. Because I'll be honest, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of people I do life with, but this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for real, authentic, true community where I can find people that will walk with me on the journey of faith, that I can pray for them, they can pray for me, I can help meet their needs, they can help meet my needs, that we can lift each other up and we can push each other to become better disciples of Jesus Christ together. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I believe this community was in Acts. See, many people look at Acts chapter 2, and they try to copy it. They say, this is how we build a great church. If people can just get together and eat together and maybe pray together, then we're going to build a great church. And they try to copy it. But most people, they try to generate community out of nothing. When real, raw, authentic community is always organic, and it is always birthed out of the Holy Spirit. See, these believers didn't start their church with potlucks, even though I think potlucks happened later. I'll be honest, I hate potlucks, but that's just my personal preference. Many came came into the church, or many people come into church looking for friendship. And then many people leave because they don't connect with anybody, because they didn't find that friendship. But let's be honest, if you want to be like the folks in Acts 2, if you want real, authentic, raw, organic community where we are growing together and friendships are happening, we're lifting each other up and we're praying for one another, then we need to understand what these believers did in Acts chapter 1. So we're going to go back a chapter, and this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 16. It says that these believers, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They met together and were constantly united in prayer. They had this common theme that they were praying for one another. And I believe that real community starts when we pray together. When we pray together. See, they say a family that prays together stays together. I think a church that prays together stays together. And when you start to pray for one another, it creates this bond and this connection with each other that becomes deep. See, community where Jesus becomes the focus, it becomes this strong and beautiful community. And it starts to develop true friendships that, 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 that you never want to break. But community without Jesus as the center will very often lead down the sin path. And this is what I mean by the sin path. Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, God had created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, and they were in community with each other. Then the Bible tells us this. There was Adam, there was Eve, and there was God in this community. Adam and Eve, one day, decided to leave God out of their community. 
Then a snake or a serpent came, a serpent I should say, came and started to try to get in between the community between God and man. And this is what the serpent said, said, God is lying to you. See, God had told them that there was a tree in the middle of the, in the, middle of the garden where they lived, in the middle of uh, the garden of Eden, which was paradise to them. It was called the tree of good and evil. And God said, you could have anything in this whole garden, but do not touch the fruit from that tree. And the serpent came and said, God is lying to you. And I'll be honest, the number one thing, that the devil wants to do in your life, he wants to tell you that God is lying to you. Because if he can tell you that God is lying to you, then he gets hold of your life. And some of you, God has promised you so many things, and the devil is trying to tell you that God is lying, God is lying, God is lying, and you're starting to believe the lie. But the Bible tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that he is a liar. And so that's what he did. He came and said that God is lying to you, that God wants, doesn't want you to have anything from this tree because then you will be powerful like him. So what they do, they took God out of the community, they ate of the fruit, and then suddenly they started to sin. They were naked and they suddenly realized they were naked. They suddenly had shame for the first time. Then the Bible tells us that they hid in the garden away from God. Now this community was totally broken. Because that's what happens when God is not at the center of community. But for the disciples in Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 1, this time of prayer, it turned into a bond where they were together, where Jesus was the center. And their relationship, it became strong together. They started to believe in one another. And then they found common ground with one another. And as a result, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says that the Holy Spirit came into their gathering, into their, into their meeting together where they were praying, and their lives were totally changed. And then a result, then at that gathering then went into the streets of the city and that city was completely changed and within a few short years the region of Judea kind of their state where they were was completely changed and then by the end of the Bible when we get to Revelation we see that the whole of the known world at that time the Middle East what they call Asia Minor which is like Turkey and Europe was completely being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it all started with a few folks deciding to pray together. Community that is birthed out of changed lives by the Holy Spirit always attracts, always multiplies, and always causes your faith to grow deeper. And there are many people and many Christians who never experience real authentic relationships that we all crave because they do not allow the Holy Spirit space in their lives. We've had lots of people who have become friends of ours over the years and people have come into this church and couples and for some reason they've like wanted to be friends with us. I think it's they think I'm cool because I got a cool accent and they get to realize, know me and realize, man, he ain't as cool as all that. So, but they come and, and, and want friendship But when we start talking about discipleship and growing in faith and praying for one another, they're like, no, 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 we don't want that. We just want friendship. 
And what happens if you just want friendship, but you don't want spiritual community, that friendship will eventually die and fizzle out, or that friendship will lead you down a path that you don't want. You need spiritual community. And real community is built and sustained on common ground. And when the Holy Spirit becomes that common ground, watch out, because that community becomes something that is beautiful, that is incredible, that that is life-giving. And so all the extroverts here this morning are saying, yay, I love this sermon. It's all about connecting and making new friends, and we're loving it. And all you introverts this morning were like, I hate this sermon, because it means I have to connect with people. I don't want to connect with anybody. I'll be honest, I'm kind of like that. I don't really like connecting with new people that much. I'll say hi, I'll give a high five, but letting new people into my life is like scary to do that. But for those of you who are introverts this morning, or for those of you who think, I don't need any, any, any more relationships in my life, I want to just very quickly, just in the next five minutes as we close, I want to give you three re- reasons why you need community. And this is the first reason. When real community occurs, needs are met. When real community occurs, needs are met. The community that we read about in Acts chapter 2, they did something that was so pure and so genuine that we sometimes miss it. The Bible says that they sold what they had and they gave to those who were in need. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that today. I'm not going to ask you to go home and sell everything that you have and give it to the church. We probably would be called a cult if we did that. So I don't want us to, to, to do that. And we live in a different time and age as these people. But these people, they did not rely on government aid when somebody was hurting in their church. They didn't rely on local charities to take care of them. They didn't set up a GoFundMe page so we can pay my BGE bill. They didn't put a passive-aggressive comment on Facebook to say, oh man, I just need five bucks to pay for my gas this week, hoping that somebody is going to say, oh, here's five bucks. You know, there's people on Facebook that do that stuff. They just met each other's needs. They were so close to each other. They were so ingrained in each other's lives. Their friendships had built up so much that they met each other's needs. They were aware of each other's needs. And when you get close to people and you genuinely care for them, you are happy to help them out in a time of need. My little son, he has got a need, which he has needs all the time. But if he has a genuine need, I'm not going to say, you know what? Deal it with yourself. Sort it out yourself. I'm going to help meet him that need because I genuinely care and love. And that's the same in community. When we genuinely care and love for each other, we want to help and meet each other's needs. Now, I'll be honest. If you have needs and you've been complaining because other people know about those needs and they are not meeting those needs, it's probably not that they don't care. Because I've discovered that most people actually do care. It's more likely that you've never expressed care in their needs and got close enough in that relationship to develop a relationship where they want to meet your needs and you want to meet their needs. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 to 27 says, This makes harmony among the members, the members of the church they're talking about. So all the members care for each other. 
If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So this is what happens in real community. When one part is hurting, we all start to hurt and we all want to go and help to relieve the pain. When one part is celebrating, we all want to celebrate with them. And that is what happens in real community. For there will come a time in your life that if you commit to real community, with others and you let the Holy Spirit direct you and Jesus becomes the center of that community and that friendships that you will have a need and those others around you will help you meet that need. Second point, if you are an introvert or you don't think you need relationships today, when real community occurs, exhaustion and burnout just cannot thrive. We live in a culture where exhaustion and burnout have become an epidemic from kids having sports practice six days a week, where we have to take our kids six days a week, then running around work, where extended hours at work, and now we have our smartphones, so work will never leave us because it's always there, to now being on social media where we see the best of people and we're always striving to be bigger and better because we want to be like everybody else on social media. It has caused this epidemic of burnout where often we're just tapping out. We tap out of our marriages, some of us tap out of parenting, tap out of work, even tap out of church. But real, authentic, spiritual community is so important. Because firstly, when you are close enough to people, those people will tell you to slow down. They'll tell you when you need to slow down. And secondly, we need others sometimes to carry the load. And when you are close enough in friendship with people, They understand when you are weighed down. They said, hold on for a moment. Let me carry the load for you. Galatians uh, 6.2 says, share each other's burdens. I've been burnt out twice in my life. Both times they were the worst time of my life. It took months, even years, to recover from both times. Both times was I just did too much, committed to too much, was working too much, volunteering too much, and it just got me to a place where I burnt out. And both those times could have been avoided, and this is why. Because in both times I burnt out, I started to come out of community with other believers because I was too busy. And I started to do everything myself, and there was nobody around me to tell me to slow down. There was nobody around me to say, you know what, Alex, let me take this weight from you. Let me take this burden. Let me take this task from you. Because I disassociated myself with other people because I was too busy. And I burnt out twice. Let me tell you, burnout is dangerous. Burnout is something that you do not want. Burnout is something that could destroy your life altogether. But when you seek community, burnout just cannot strive. And finally today, when real community occurs, we become stronger. Do you want to be a stronger Christian? Do you want to be a stronger disciple of Jesus Christ? Then it's all found in the act of sharing community with each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 to 12 tells us this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls... 
the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls alone, they are in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Obviously, this was pre the days of electric blankets. But Then it says this in verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. There are three, it says three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What is the difference between a string and a rope? A string and a rope. String breaks easily, rope is tough. But what's the difference? There's no difference except for the rope is many pieces of string. And I'll be honest with you, in my faith, I don't want to be a string. I want a rope holding my faith. In my marriage, I don't want my marriage hanging by a string. I want it tied by a rope. In parenting my child, I don't want my parenting to be hanging by a string. I want to be tied by a rope. In my prayer life and in the needs that I have and in my finances, I don't want them to be hanging by a string. I want them to be tied by a rope. Let me tell you, you don't want to be a string. You want to be part of a rope. Because it's strong and that is what community does. When you gather in community with other believers, you become a rope and your marriage and your parenting and your finances and your faith and and even your health and and even just your work life. It is stronger because of the people that are around you. So what is the point of community? Well, it's to help us get through to push the mission of Jesus further, and to let our roots grow down deeper. Community starts when we pray together and pray with each other. It is sustained when the Holy Spirit is welcome and direct, and then it thrives when we commit to each other and we care for one another. Now, I believe part of our role here at Generation Church as leaders on our leadership team at Generation Church, part of our role is to create environments for you to connect and have community if we're not creating those environments then we need to be held accountable for that because we're not create we're not giving you an avenue to live out the life of Christ that he has for you but as we are to create an environment for you to connect the onus cannot be on us to push you to connect See, if we are generating manufactured community, real life-giving community will never happen. You have to choose to make that step and say, I'm going to commit to some other folks here at Generation Church. And so there's some others around and they may not look like you. They may not talk like you. They may not even smell like you. But they are there Here, and I believe God has called us together to help one another, to pray for one another, to lift each other up, to carry each other's burdens so we could eat together, 
and we can have fun together, but we can study the scriptures together and the word of God together, and we can become stronger together, and we can help meet, meet each other's needs, and we can help each other stop burning out in this life. And so what we're going to do this summer is we have what we call table groups, which are one-off events that happen all throughout the summer. And we have somebody who hosts it, whether it's at their house or at a restaurant or in their backyard. And then we invite others to come and share a meal with them and then have a spiritual conversation where we're talking about God. And, and I encourage you this summer to, to, to take part in, in one or two or multiple table groups. And if, if you want to host one, we, we, want, we want to hear from you because we want to set you up that you you can ha- help you create an environment where you can connect with others and people can connect with you. And so if you want to host a table group and just, if you're a great cook or if you just want to set up a potluck for people to come, then there's a sign-up form behind the info center at our sign-up table. Go sign up and, uh, and, and, and agree to host a table group this summer. But that's not the point of this sermon today. The point of the sermon is this, is that You cannot do life alone. You need community, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you have a ton of friends or you have no friends. And we'll pray for you if you've got no friends. You need community. You need each other. You need to pray with one another. You need to lift each other up. You need to help meet the needs of one another. And when real community happens, God does amazing things. Let's bow our heads in prayer.